welcome to Sweathead. I've got Natalie Tran, someone that much of the world knows, but I'm, I'm hoping that my world gets to meet Natalie today. How are you, Nat? I'm well, thank you. How are you? I am wonderful. I'm so happy that I get to talk with you and kind of share you, like, because for those who don't know, Natalie's, uh, you know, she's pretty, she's pretty big on the internet and has no. kind of spent most of her adulthood on, on YouTube and has grown up in a lot of respects on YouTube. And when I, when I'm in America and people bring up YouTube with YouTubers, I immediately test them to say, do you know Natalie Tran? Do you know who that is? And if they say no, I get very angry. <laughs> you must get angry at work a lot then, Marcus. <laughs> oh, you're so self-deprecating and we're going to no, talk I... about that. Hey, look, I, I, look I, I want to start with a big question, Natalie. Why don't you have your own TV show? And also, you know what? I wonder that a lot. And then I wonder, why doesn't Natalie own a TV station? And then I wonder, why doesn't Natalie Tran own YouTube or something like that? Oh, wow. That's a lot of questions that make me feel bad about my current station in life. Um, <laughs> I guess I don't have a show because I don't work hard like everyone who has a show does to get a show up. I don't have a TV network because I assume they're a lot of money. I don't know. Uh, it's, I don't know. I've not been a very ambitious, I don't know. I'm always looking for what it is that I'm missing, but I don't think it's, I don't know what it is, if that makes sense. I don't know if it's that stuff. Yeah, yeah, I get it. I get it. Uh, I put on Mr. Inbetween, which is a show on FX, which uh, I, think, I think came out of the, the Edgerton brothers. Who yes. They're around yeah. in that, right? And you got a little part in that. And I, I saw it and I was like, oh, yeah, go Natalie. And then my second thought was, give her a bigger part. <laughs> <laughs> no, I was really stoked to be in that because it was based off a short film called The Magician, which I really liked, which was an independent Australian film um, that my sister showed me when I was younger. And it's like a black comedy. It's funny. And then when I heard that it had been picked up for a TV series and I know um, Nash because of his shorts and stuff online and that they were both collaborating, it was really exciting. So I think I was just too keen and eventually Nash was kind enough to uh, offer me a small role. What's the name of the main actor who also put together the short film? Scott Ryan. Scott Wright, he's got a really interesting story because he came to, to writing pretty late in life or relatively late in life, right? And then I, I read something that he almost gave up and then suddenly this thing happened, but it took a very long time. Is that right? Yeah, it's taken a long time. I think it was like 15 years in the making of like trying to get this show off the ground. Um, and I think he was a driver for a little bit and yeah, he's had he's had a, an uphill battle, I think, to get to, to where, where he is at the moment. So YouTube 2006. Natalie Tran pops up and takes over the YouTube corner of the internet repeatedly, knowingly. And it's funny to hear you talk about not working hard because you put a lot of work into your, to your videos back then. Why did you originally start on YouTube? I think my boyfriend at the time went overseas. And so I had a lot of extra time on my hands. And I'd read about YouTube in the newspaper when they were talking about the lonely girl phenomenon, which was basically what turned out to be a fictitious series. But at the time, everyone was taking everything on YouTube as, as real. And it was a, an actress, a New Zealand actress, pretending she was part of a cult. Anyway, so I read about it in the newspaper. Say it, say it. I remember that. Say it. Say it yeah, sorry. Of, there's a marketing advertising people listening. Yeah, so there was um, a, a vlog series called Lonely Girl 15. And if you watched it, you would think you were watching the video diary entries of a young girl who turned out that her parents were in a kind of a cult thing and, you know, she was in love with the boy next door, just that kind of thing. So you thought you were watching this girl's, you know, diary entries and you kind of felt very close to her. And then it turned out she was an actress from New Zealand. And I remember when that hit the news I was reading about it. And then I hopped online and I saw a lot of people were doing video kind of responses to each other, which don't exist anymore on YouTube, but used to be able to post video responses. And it was very clear that there was a really tight knit community on YouTube at the time. It was much, much smaller. Mm -hmm. And I just really enjoyed that. And I was leaving comments and stuff. And then eventually I started making videos and yeah, there's a lot of time on my hands. <laughs> Yeah, it's interesting because obviously since YouTube became massive, a few other networks have broken and there's consistently a group of creators who come together and bond in a, in a relatively authentic way, Pro probably often from a place of introversion and not having a lot of people on their street or in their homes or in their schools that they relate to. So they get on the internet, they bond, and then every now and then one of these platforms takes off. And sometimes the very early creators also take off with it. Is that, is that sort of the first few years of you on YouTube? Does that describe you? 
I think the first few years of YouTube, because it was such a small community, I mean, like, to be honest with you, the people who I've met from the early days of YouTube, I've remained really close with, you know, I've gone on holidays with them. I've been to their weddings, you know, we're still close friends. But I mean, it's so, it's so abstract because now YouTube is everyone who watches it, you know, every kid's just watching one. But back then it really was just kind of these, yeah, I guess kind of nerdy kids or kids who were fascinated with, with the idea of talking to a stranger or connecting with somebody because you had a specific interest. Yeah. So I think back then it was definitely a way to reach out to other people. And can you recall how many videos or response videos you made before you committed to, I guess, what, what was not a response video, like the, an original video? No, I have no idea. I just originally started responding to people because I guess I got too impatient. I remember being like so addicted to watching people release these daily videos because I was at uni at the time and I would work. And I remember during my work breaks, because we didn't have internet on our phones and stuff, I get so excited. I'd go to like the internet cafe during my lunch break to see if anyone had posted up like updates because I just really wanted to know like how my friend in Texas was going or yeah wow really needed some more (laughs) needed some more friends in real life but yeah. Who were you following when were they treating their videos as I guess acts of like creativity or was it more like a blog? The people who I was following were vlogs at the time I guess so it was more like video diary kind of things. I must admit I don't think I saw too many different kinds of styles come in until like maybe a year or so later than when I joined. How did you remember your, I hate the word process in some ways, but do you remember your creative process when you started to think about committing to creating something that was more like the channel that it became? I remember the first time I kind of did a sketch and then it got a positive reaction. And then I realized, bit. I guess when you're doing all the different parts, you kind of have to script and everything because otherwise it's just a nightmare for editing and everything else, but it was really lo-fi and it was really, it was very small at the beginning, I guess, to what it is now, which is a very different process. Like it's, it's a lot more methodical now when I, when I want to write a video. Uh, Yeah. Back then, I think it was just more just trying to communicate with people and it was very immediate. I would be responding to a comment left on my video straight away in video Mm -hmm. form or something like that. Yeah. Can you think of one of the early sketches and run us through how you actually put it together? I remember I was, it's not really a sketch. I remember like I was more kind of telling stories, but I remember one of the earlier ones was when I was at uni, I had just moved over to a digital media degree, which doesn't exist anymore because Mm -hmm. what is digital media? Uh, People were doing assignments and I kind of wanted to portray how inadequate I felt in class because everyone had made these incredible designs and, products and like interpretive dance and all this kind of stuff. And I had just done a really down the line, boring cookie cutter presentation. And so I acted out the different parts of people, you know, I've played different roles of characters in, in the class. And I guess cause people were around the same age that I was in. I remember getting a lot of feedback with people like, Oh, this is happening to me in class. And I don't, it was just, it was just really wholesome back then. I'm sorry. I sound so lame, but I just don't know what to, yeah, it was just very, yeah, it's very wholesome back then. But, that, but I mean, that whole genre of vulnerability, if that's a genre, that's, that's obviously a pretty big thing now. But to put yourself out in video form back then and to focus on the things that made you feel vulnerable, which is, is kind of in most of your videos, I think, was that something that you were scared of or did it come naturally? I think I felt so safe because I wasn't aware. <laughs> I wasn't aware of how many people... I guess, yeah, I mean, it sounds really stupid, but I just didn't think bigger picture, if that makes sense. So I really just thought immediate community. So I was like, this is really only going to go out to the few people who I'm interacting with daily. I guess I was a bit more open. I was way more open back then than I am now. So like I would definitely, yeah, definitely be more open to, to vulnerability back then than I am now. I think I'm much more guarded now, but I'm probably older and more bitter and paranoid now. I've always found the, the balance of vulnerability and you are self-deprecating in the extreme. Those two dynamics are the complete opposite to someone who appears in public as fiercely confident and articulate with a savage intellect. How does that all come together? Do you just find that parts of the self-deprecation, do they just turn off when you press record or when you write? I struggle with this a lot because I think about, <laughs> I hope people don't get angry, like the narcissism involved in thinking that you're good enough to share a story Mm. or thinking that you're good enough 
Okay, I struggle with that a lot, probably more now than before. I, get, I just really put a lot of before down to just being young. You know, you just have this weird confidence. You're like, I'll wear shorts. Yeah, I'll wear sleeveless shirts. Like you just, you're just so much more confident back then. I don't know, I guess, because I'm doing things in my room or in my house. Even now, if I do things, they feel very confined. And maybe because I'm more concentrating, I always have scripts ready and stuff. I'm more concentrating on that. I don't have time to really think about too much. If I don't really think about acting or anything or I'm just kind of trying to get the video together if that makes sense I'm just trying to get all the pieces down so that I can edit next yeah I totally get it like it's it's as if the that's your flow you're flowing and it just calms down the other parts of your brain because that's probably very much who you are that creative self-expressive person and that self-deprecation that sometimes like you're pretty self-deprecating right well I don't know but I must admit like now it's very hard because now I'm very aware of like how much the world does not need more content <laughs> and i'm so and i'm so much more aware of like how i'm not like i'm not really contributing anything useful and and so i'm kind of now that's probably why i'm so reluctant to do things now you don't think you're contributing something useful like some of the pretty honest and, and vulnerable content mm. stuff that you've put mm. out there no because there's always might... someone else who can do it like if that makes i always like uh... i go onto youtube and like i spent like i just go on and i'm like no, there's so many kids and there's so, and I'm, one of my, I'm like 32 years old now. I'm just a weirdo. Like, I don't think I have, I know that's like, I just, I don't know. I just feel a lot less inclined to share things now. Uh, the 32 years, do you feel old? I don't feel old, but I feel, uh, this is a really weird thing to bring up, but my ex's mum once said something to me and it really stuck with me. She goes, you know, when you're a woman and you become in your thirties and forties, you become invisible mm. and I kind of feel like that, if that makes sense. I just don't really think I have much to offer. <laughs> no, even, but like, even, even though thousands of people pay attention to everything you do offer. No, but like, but they, no, but they only do that because I kind of force my way in on their feed, right? Like if I don't do anything, it's of no consequence. Do you know what I mean? Like it's just, I just, yeah, I don't think, I think that's my own insecurity putting myself out there and then going yeah, I, I don't think people actually care. <laughs> it's a mean thing to say, but not in a rude way or anything. I just don't know if people really, really care. <laughs> I totally understand what you're saying because because it's so noisy out there that you, by the act of creating and of expressing, you are contributing to some kind of noise. But I, I got to tell you, I think the need that someone like yourself fulfills is often as simple as you help someone understand that they're not alone in the world that they're not unusual for having certain thoughts that you're so good at putting into comedy. And I actually think that's an incredibly important role. That's kind of you to say, I don't know if my, my comedy is profound enough to like, and, I'm, and perhaps I'm just not happy enough with, with what I feel like it's contributing. Maybe, maybe I need to work on that. Work on that Cause mm. yeah. Do you ever watch the videos you made years ago? Only like sometimes if we're trying to, remember something like if my partner and I trying to remember something or if if someone asks me about something but not not like not for fun <laughs> if you were to scroll through your YouTube channel and see your face from 2006 to 2010 or choose any years around that time who do you see who is that person I don't know I don't know who that person is I guess it's just someone who I felt in the moment I sometimes I go through these periods where I should probably go back and delete everything but I don't like the idea of having to see them again <laughs> I see them again <laughs> I don't know. I don't know if you go through this, but sometimes I'm just like, I don't know who I was even just a month ago. Do you, you go through that where you're just like, I don't even know who I was at that stage in my life? This year, I actually feel really quite solid. And that's because I've written tens and tens of thousands of words, not just in this, this little book thing I'm doing, but just stream of consciousness writing. And yeah. I, really, I really committed to myself and I hear myself now and that's my anchor. And then every now and then I might listen to something from... I don't know, 10, 15 years ago. And I'm like, oh, wow, like I'm, I was happier and more confident than I thought I was at the time. So I, I have those little moments. And at the same time, and anything I've written from before this year, I'm like, oh God, I used to wing it. <laughs> I used to wing it. Like a lot of stuff I wrote about the industry, I'm in the strategy world. Sometimes it was 10 o'clock at night, put the babies to bed back then. Mm. And I was like, just write something and publish in the next hour. And, and now I read it. I'm like, oh my God, it's so badly written. <laughs> no but, but I guess it's just like well, I don't know it's just hard but I have huge problems with like with that kind of realm of feelings like hindsight and, and all that kind of, but like I just I don't know I think what you write is great I've always enjoyed what you write <laughs> it's kind of you 
I actually feel confident as a writer this year and I identify as a writer this year. It's, it's taken a while. That's are you, great. Like, are you writing constantly? I do enjoy writing for fun, yeah. So I, am, I, I write for fun all the time, yes. What's the, thing? Like, What's the opposite of writing for fun? Well, I guess I just mean like there's no real end game, if that makes sense. Like I don't. Yeah. So I, I still write videos even though I don't make them, but I'll have ideas and then I just need to kind of get them out onto the page or finish the idea or quite often I still have, so I still carry notebooks with me. And if I still have something pop into my mind, I'll write it down, even though really there's no, yeah, I'm not quite sure what will happen to it. Can we talk, can we talk about age and self-perception a bit more? Cause I remember, I think we met, uh, it's funny. We met in 2009. 2009, 2009, yeah. 2009, right? It's, and it's funny, as you get older, all of a sudden you start to do the grandparent thing where you start to remember years and months. And <laughs> uh, I'm so grateful I'm, that I met. You were so kind, but sorry, yes, continue. Oh, thank you. I remember meeting you then and you got mobbed by a bunch of students and you were probably, so 2009, okay, so you've mentioned your age, so we can talk age. Uh, you were 21 at that time, 21, 22, and you got mobbed by a bunch of high school students. And you, I remember you then making some kind of, reference about being older what's your relationship with your age what do you mean why do, <laughs> why do i think i'm so old is that what you mean can't you just come up with an answer without making my question look bad no, no, no but is that what i mean age is on everyone's mind i remember i hit 25 for example and i i stopped doing martial arts i thought i was too old i, I stopped doing my radio show i thought i was too old I thought i had to like get a mortgage and all that kind of stuff and right around that time, all these like older martial arts guys were doing really, really well. It just kicked off just, <laughs> just around that time. And I, I, I actually resent a strong word. I, I resent myself a little bit for a poor attitude towards age and aging. I didn't think you uh, could have a poor attitude towards age and aging. But now that you, you say that, that makes sense. Well, I remember talking about it with you a while ago. So I was just wondering if it was something that was off on, on your mind. Because I think back then you were conscious of being older than your audience. Yeah, I mean, I was talking to this uh, about this with a friend just yesterday. I really worry sometimes about things that you do in your life at the wrong age. I know that sounds strange, but like I didn't take any time out. I've only ever been in long-term relationships since I was 17. And sometimes I just think, God, that's, that's just such a weird way to experience those age groups because you've never, or maybe that's because I'm such a dependent person and, and really I create really unhealthy relationships, but I've never felt like I've, figured out who I am. And so I guess I've always just been like, yeah, I'm going to get married. Yeah. I'm going to like, that's just, if since I was like 17, I'm like, yeah, that's just the track I'm going to go down. So when I meet people who are like, oh, I'm even if they're the same age as me, but they're like, oh, I'm doing this and I'm, you know, I'm living abroad and I'm traveling and I've done this. I always kind of feel, I don't know, maybe like that they've just done better with their years or something. Does it, I don't know. They've used their years more wisely. God, that sounds really yeah. mean to my partners. I don't mean it like that, but yeah, no, I get it. I've, I've mostly been in long-term relationships as well, but that's that's just personality, and probably part of it's about <laughs> avoidance of conflict and and introversion. Oh, it's so much so much easier to stay in a relationship. I don't know how yeah. people break up. I don't know how people break up when they're like, "We broke up." I'm like, "What? How did that even happen?" You just have to not break up, and you can be together forever. It's a very easy, very easy, <laughs> easy thing to do. How much are you like the person you play or have played on YouTube? I think I was probably closer to her when I was younger, but she was probably nicer when I was younger. I think now I write a more grumpy character because that's probably just where my brain is at. But I think I'm a lot, I don't know, people say I'm a lot quieter in real life, but maybe just because I guess you're seeing all these cuts and, you know, multiple characters. It's very noisy in my head all the time. And so I'm kind of concentrating on that, not to sound like a, a wanker or anything, but, you know, when your head's just so noisy and you're just so... You just, you're just like, fine, I'll just listen to that. I've got stuff to do. Yeah. How is it noisy in your head? Oh, I just, so like I have OCD and it's really, um, so the last two years actually have been really bad with my OCD, which is why I kind of just went quiet on everything. But it's just, you know, when you just have voices and it's just like this, like just very neurotic voices telling you, like it's just constantly going, things are, thoughts are always going cyclical and I'm always blowing things out of proportion. And then when OCD is bad, I'm worrying about a whole bunch of stuff that doesn't even exist. And that's just exhausting. Like I'm just worried about, you know, germs on things that don't, oh, it's, it, yeah, I've just got a, whole, a lot of imaginary problems. 
and so how does the OCD affect you? What do you, what do you do when it's intense? So when it was really intense, it was really bad. I stopped leaving my apartment and then I stopped, like I eventually narrowed it down to just two rooms in the house. So I'd just go to the bathroom and I'd just stay in my bedroom and my partner would have to like bring food into the bedroom because I just could not, like it would just, I would just scream at the idea of having to leave or go into communal spaces like the living room. Mm. Yeah, I just, I just get very, I just retract, I guess, and develop this safe space and... And I just think, I just, in my head, I'm just constantly building up a really scary world outside of that room. How long have you experienced or lived with OCD? I've always had a problem with germs. It's always like a voice. So like anything that happens, like any interaction, like if I, I know when I leave the house, if I have to pour petrol, like I have, I'll think about that for like two hours before I leave the house because I don't want to have to get out of my car and then touch the pump and then have to go in and then touch the ATM machine or something, you know, like I think about all these kind of things leading up to it. That's always been around, but it got overwhelming. Like I usually you can kind of push those voices to the side, but it got really bad. Yeah. About two years ago when it was just, it just took over everything. And I would just <laughs> like, I would just freeze in a, in a public restroom because I just couldn't bring myself to like open a door or something. And I just have to stay there until somebody opened the door for me to get out. Like that happened, yeah. It just got bad maybe about two years ago to the point of not being able to function well. So that's when you, you, you were 30. Do you know why it flared up like that? I'm not sure. It, I had a birthday party, my 30th. I had some people come over for dinner and I remember there were about 10 people in my house, my apartment, and the next day I just was like, I'm not going outside, I'm not going to sit on that couch and everything that they've touched is contaminated now i'm just going to go sit in my bedroom it was a very weird yeah, it was very weird i don't know so you've had two years since it really flared up how do you how do you deal with it how, how did you try to address it so i probably let it go on for a little bit longer than i should have and then eventually i went to um i started seeing a psychiatrist and a psychologist i had to change doctors a few times but i'm on medication now and and it's better. I go, I went through a bad, I go through bad phases where I, I, but I guess this happens when you feel like the medication works and then you go off it and then you're like, Oh, that doesn't work. Cause I have a, a big problem with the idea of having to take pills to, to be, you know, just had to start going to the doctors. And to be honest, I only kind of went because one day my partner, I felt terrible. He just started crying and I hadn't really, cause you're so self-involved. It's such a selfish mindset where you're not even thinking about other people. I wasn't even thinking about the fact that like, this was stressful for him. And it wasn't until he started crying one day and he was like, you're really scaring me because of some crazy stuff I was saying. And I just thought, oh God, I don't want to be making my partner this upset. How aware are you when it flares up? Do you have any distance from it or is it just all absorbing? I think it's frustrating because there's like, you know what you're doing is irrational, but you can't stop. It's so hard because you, you, I think you, you sort of know better. It's just like, uh, like I might be standing somewhere and I just can't go into a building because I'm like, oh, you can't touch that door. But I know I'm like, it's fine. You've touched doors before. You'll be fine. This is not a problem. You know, and sometimes I've called up my friends who are like scientists and tried to get them to talk me into, I'm like, hey, I'm having a bit of trouble right now. And he's like, no, it's fine. The sun gets rid of germs and all this kind of, I know logic, but it's just, that's, that's the imbalance, I guess, when the voices are too loud and you just can't and it's going, no, no, don't touch it it's it's dirty and then your hand's going to be ruined and you know so i know but i just can't i can't always control it speaking of logic do you really think that your experience is selfish because it feels like a judgmental word and i, I wonder whether what you're saying is it's self-oriented as a truism because it has to be because that's what's going on in your brain but uh, is it really selfish i think it results in selfish behavior for sure to not be able to go out and buy groceries means that that burden falls on my partner to not be able to work means that financial stuff falls on him to be like, Oh, I can't touch that. I remember we went on a holiday once and, and I just freaked out because sometimes when we go places, accommodation will scare me, but this was as it was getting bad. And then he, I was just crying and having a fit. And then he had to go and get all these cleaning products and, and he essentially like stripped the whole apartment. And I was just like, that's just so, that's not what he wanted to be doing with his day. And I just hated myself during it. Yeah, I think it can. I think it can be selfish. 
Yeah. Uh, um, well, I put myself before him, right? Like I, I felt bad, but obviously yeah. I still let him do it. So still a jerk. <laughs> still a jerk. Yeah, no, I don't think, I don't, look, I, I just think it's an interesting thing to think about. I, I, first of all, there's something going on in your brain and you obviously need, you know, you need support and help for that. But I think narcissism does, I think research says that narcissism and creativity uh, do, they're, they're cousins, they're quite close to each other. And necessarily, you know, for someone to be creative, they're going to be in their head, they're going to be thinking about ideas and they're going to be thinking about their ideas. So that narcissism is part of that, that life. And there's obviously a spectrum where some people are just way too self-absorbed. But I don't know, I think selfish is a bit of a harsh word because you, you have to take care of yourself. And if it's affecting other people, yeah, but it's not necessarily in your control. Like what's, what's the most effective uh, treatment or activity that you found to mitigate some of what you're going through? Just medication, to be honest. And I really don't, I struggle with it a lot because I, I had a bit of a psychotic episode. And so they put me on antipsychotics for a bit. And I got really upset at the idea of having to take medication that was essentially for schizophrenia when I knew I didn't have schizophrenia. But I was just, I can't, like, I know this sounds really stupid, but like it really makes you feel, <laughs> it cuts, it cuts the tops and the ends off your feelings. Yeah. If that makes sense. And I'm on pretty high like dose. So like, I don't know, like I feel very useless at the moment, but I know that if I don't take these, then my parents get worried, then my partner gets stressed, then I can't work as well. There's a lot of paradoxes in, in that condition, aren't there? I think, uh, I mean, I feel optimistic in some respects for, for the brain right now because of some of the new research that's coming up. I think the past couple of years and what's going to come in the next few years, as long as the governments can treat the research, which is going to require reclassification of certain drugs in the laws and different types of treatment and being more research-based, I, I, th I think there is good grounds to be optimistic about some interesting approaches appearing. Because, you know, I have this deep fear... <laughs> that I'm just an asshole and that's just who I am, like inherently, like I'm just a horrible person and that maybe that's just my natural state of being. Sorry, I sound horribly crazy right now. I don't mean to, but I just, sometimes I worry that's just who I am and taking stuff and, and maybe I'm just, maybe my partner is meant to have a better person than me around, <laughs> you know, Ooh. and I'm meant to go, no, like, and I'm meant to go live in a cave or something <laughs> just like, with no doors. I don't know. I don't, I have to be a little bit wary and, and careful. Like I've said the same things to my wife, you know, she's an accountant finance person by trade, very conscientious and hardworking. And I'm a little, I'm a little looser. I try not to do things to hurt people, but I grew up with a lot of pain and with people who I'm sorry to hear that. were in a lot of pain. And so that's fine. Uh, I I'm trying to turn it into art. I'm trying to find the optimism in it all because dwelling in the pain of, of everything was not, <laughs> it just wasn't very useful, but it, it's, yeah. you know, it's, I don't think there's any correction for it. It's just who you are. And at some point I'm, I'm not, I'm talking about me, not you, cause you're, an, you, you have a, a, a lot more to, to deal with, but I, I, and a lot of people who would listen to this will relate to rumination and the type of rumination. And then hopefully some positive constructive stuff comes out with it, out of it. I don't think anyone who knows you would think you're an asshole. Yeah, maybe no, the people know you. I don't think anyone who knows you would because look, we're all a bit of everything. No one's purely good or purely evil, unless maybe psychopath, but then often that's not with intention. How, have you used any of this in your writing? What you're going no, through? And I feel really bad that I've just kind of dropped this on you because I feel like it's so hideous. Like, um, no, oh, I, talk, I could talk about this for two hours, but I feel bad that I would do that to you. <laughs> no, no, I haven't really. I don't know, it's a bit. <laughs> I have a friend who I talk to about it, but not, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> do people, yeah. So how, do people, how, how, do you, how, how are you spending your days right now? So at the moment, um, I'm basically freelance editing a lot, um, just editing corporate videos and stuff like that. I, I'm, I'm home most of the time. And then every now and then I'll go out for a job or something, but I'm just laying low, <laughs> trying yeah. not to, I just feel really bad, man. Like for, like seriously for two years my my poor partner just had to like work his ass off and like we bought a house and you know that mortgage fell on his his shoulders I don't know I'm just trying to stay out of trouble and just <laughs> just edit <laughs> and not do any like just be at home yeah 
Yeah. That makes sense. Got to do what you got to do. Yeah. Do you, does it flare up at different times of years? You know, like the December in winter or in summer often triggers a lot of stuff for people. Does is December a difficult month for you? No, no. I I'm, I'm just honestly mainly at home, so it doesn't really, it doesn't really okay. bother me. Every month's yeah, the same. Bother. Every month's the same. Every day's the same. Every month's the same. No, it's it's fine. I think just just certain scenarios will, but it's illogical, right? So yeah, yeah. it's inconsistent and illogical. Yeah, I could totally spend two, three, four hours talking about this, but I'll give you a break. I don't want to traumatize you because then you'll never come back and hopefully you'll have another chat with me at some point. No, I'm sorry. I feel like I've sucked all your positive energy out of you. Are you kidding me? I'm done with my <laughs> Jesus. Why do you think I do podcasts? Because it's easy <laughs> to find people to whom to talk to in the world? No. It's difficult, Natalie. So I trap them into a recording. That's what I do. Can we talk a little bit more about YouTube? Yeah, for sure. Yeah. What would you like to talk about? It's such a different what? space now. Well, okay, well, let's talk about that. How is it different to when you started? Well, I mean, now it's, I can't believe people want to make YouTube videos. I know that sounds silly, but, you know, they were kind of a labor of love at first. <laughs> you didn't make money off them. And, and to be honest, I feel like there's a bit of a, people kind of look down on YouTube stuff a little bit. And they definitely did when I started. Like they definitely did. A lot of people who I looked up to, I, you know, I've heard kind of say things that are pretty, I get it. Um, like, you know, it's not a, it's not, I don't know, it's not a TV show. It's not a, it's not a writer's room or something. I get that. But now I guess I'm, like kids are kind of happy with it. People are happy in that space and I enjoy that a lot more. They're not so, yeah, they're, they're, they're building things within the community. It's getting so much bigger than it ever was. People tour shows now and people, yeah, I, I don't know. It's a really... It's a really lovely space. I went to, there's um, someone called Superwoman, I'm sure you know her, um, Lily Singh on YouTube. And I went to one of her concerts when she was in Sydney. And I remember looking around and there were just, it was just filled, like the, the theater was just filled with young girls. And they were talking about things like self-growth and positivity. And I just remember being so emotional and thinking all these people connecting with her. It's such a huge thing. And that there's a positive female role. Oh, there's just so many things going on. I was just like, this is really wonderful to see it have grown in this, in this way. Obviously there are downsides to YouTube and obviously there's, there's um, a price that people pay, but yeah, it's, it, I don't know. I think it's really wonderful that it's given people platforms. And if you go to VidCon or you go to some of the YouTube events, they're actually really like the LGBT panels are some of the most like powerful things I've like rooms I've ever sat in where yeah. someone will get up and say, Hey, I'm an isolated person in this area and you know i felt really alone and i considered taking my life and then i saw this other person you know who came out online and was feeling you know and then all the support they were getting and i think that's really powerful stuff and i know that's what i was saying earlier when you i know you're half joking about not feeling useful but that's the need you fulfilled and there, there are two little stories that popped to mind one is when I was doing my little rap magazine, I would, I would get postcards from people in small country towns often in Australia or from cities overseas, like decent sized cities. And they would say things like, man, I'm the only person who's into hip hop, like underground rap, graffiti, mm. whatever it is in my town. And I saw your magazine and now I know there are people like me out there. That's and awesome. I've also found doing these little strategy talks. I do I, I, every now and then, especially if it's an evening event with one or two beers beforehand and there's a big crowd. If I get into some you know, bizarre stories that sometimes there'll be a little tear and someone will just come up and say, you know what? It's just really nice to be in a room of people like me because that's not oh. my life and it's not what I grew up with. And that's, that's the oh, need that's lovely. all of these things fulfill. And you've, you've definitely played a huge role for people in that. Hmm. what about okay the flip side of that for you you do you do you pay attention to the trolling i mean trolling's gotten out of control in the past five to ten years hasn't it yeah it's horrific it's horrible again i'm super narcissistic i just see positive stuff in my feed <laughs> no i'm i, I don't know maybe because honestly like i was bombarded with it for years it's kind of just i don't pay any attention to it anymore but it's no, I mean, I don't know how people are going to avoid it. I don't know how it's going to stop being a thing. And if anything, it's probably worse now because people are so absorbed into that world. You know what I mean? Like, whereas in the past, it was like, that's online. This is real life. Whereas now the two are melded together. So 
it must be way harder for kids going to school now than it was before to have to deal with bullying online and offline. Yeah, I don't well, I mean, it's yeah, also like as the, a... The, the activists in positive and negative ways, with negative ways we can call them trolls, they're so much more organised and they teach each other yeah. how, to, how to do it and the talking points and it's just... That's awful, isn't it? It's really disappointing. It's a very disappointing part, like oh, disappointing side of people. On the flip side, we get to see all this incredible love on the internet that I didn't know existed either, if that makes sense. I didn't know people could just be like, hey, I really support you to someone who they're what, you know, I didn't know that kind of love for a stranger existed. So three years into your YouTube career when we met, you, you know, you would post videos and get 500,000, a million, maybe a little bit more around that time, maybe a lot more. I hope I'm not underestimating. I'm just trying to be relatively accurate, even though that's a pretty big <laughs> range. Uh, <laughs> You would get approached by companies, possibly brands or content slash production companies to do projects with them. And I remember you being a little bit coy. There was something, not that oh. you necessarily communicated it directly, but I think you wanted to respect the purity of your YouTube-ness. And yet at some point you started to do other types of projects with other companies or with brands. How did you navigate that thought process? You know, it was really different back, again, sorry to keep saying it was really different back then, but mm. I remember when, if you did branded, I mean, I'm because now we're so used to campaigns, right? But mm. back then, if you did a campaign, the chances of your audience hating you was so high and they'd call you a sellout and they'd say, it was just really aggressive back then. Um, so if you were going to take a, a hit, it really had to be worth it. And then I remember speaking to John Green once, This was, but this was early days again. And he said to me, I kind of think about it like getting egg on you. Like, is it worth getting egg on you for this? And I guess I was so young and, you know, I lived with my parents. I didn't, the way I saw it was I wasn't desperate for money. I was just making videos for fun. So it was no skin off my back. Now I understand why people do it because that's how you keep up the level of production. I mean, companies now who make content online are real, like a struggling, you know, it's, it's a really hard place to make money. But um, yeah, back then it was just a really, people were so negative about it. And it, I mean, now it's fine, but back then it just wasn't a cool thing to do. And people were just so upset if you did that. And I guess also the briefs you got were much more stringent. Mm. You know, it was, it was a pure ad. I still think that that area could be improved, but it's a, it's a hard thing to, to navigate. Hang on, which area, like doing branded content? Yeah, I don't know how, I don't know what people want and how they measure success, especially because now we can actually measure success compared to traditional. I mean, you can measure those, but there's so much more happening now. So if you do a campaign for someone, the amount of information that they want to know, that is so much more specific, I think, than if they were doing a radio ad or doing, you know, yeah. something in the newspaper, it has to have different kind of feedback than just a buyout of a page in a newspaper. There's a lot yeah. more going on and it's a lot for a lot that's, less. So it's, it's a really, yeah. <laughs> oh, that's true. Yeah. There are a lot more cheaper options, whether it's getting someone well-known to do something on YouTube or getting, I don't know, a cousin to design a website. There's, there's a lot more cheapness out there. Yeah. But I think there's still, there's still an arm wrestle in that world about which metrics matter and the social media platforms They've been pretty strong in arguing for engagement and then obviously like engagement metrics. And then people are like, well, what's that worth? And, mm. and then there's people who argue much more around the conversion. And I guess there's the intelligence that, and the data that you can potentially capture. It's still not clear. It's not a clear space right now. No, no. When you started to get some newspaper <laughs> articles, right, which were probably on the newspaper's website as well, but newspaper <laughs> articles in the early days, were you ever surprised at the way that they covered you? Because obviously that people were always very quick to want to guess or estimate how much Natalie Tran was earning. Yeah, they once published I had a million dollars. I made a million dollars and I was like, hey man, listen, I'm living with my parents and if they think I'm earning a million dollars <laughs> and living under their roof, it was a bit weird because people, again, like people who I really looked up to even, would talk on their shows and be like, it's, it's trash that these people can make any money online. But, but your, I mean, really, everyone... your really creative content back then was also sitting next to 15 to the 30 second things of like people getting kicked in the balls, right? Because the videos were really short. They were basically long animated GIFs because the internet connections weren't that strong. And then yeah. there was your type of work, which is a very different genre. Well, I mean, people still now think that I do video diaries. You know what I mean? Like I think everyone, a lot of people out there still kind of place it in that category everyone's always fascinated with a different alternative or an alternative way to living and i guess it's very romanticized right now the idea of 
being at home, being a freelancer and being in charge of things. But I'm sure any freelancer can tell you that's a t- <laughs> that has its own challenges. But I, I guess back in the day, it was more like a combination of what is YouTube and can you live off it? Which is still a question, like, can you live off it comfortably now? It's still a question. Yeah. So. so were there many other surprises? I mean, uh, Vietnamese heritage, did that get covered a lot? Does it get covered more now, less now? Because I think a lot of these topics are way more mainstream. So much less now, but back in the day, gosh, I used to get so many racist comments. Like it was phenomenal. So many people would email me telling me I wasn't Australian and they didn't like me making videos because for a while I was like the top Australian. For a couple of years I was top Australian and then one of the top in the world. And I guess because... No, but I mean, I guess just because they were like, oh, that's an Australian. And that annoyed some people. So I'd get a lot Mm -hmm. of angry messages of people being like you're not Australian you shouldn't be representing Australia all this kind of stuff a lot of angry emails from people about how people only watched me because I was a woman that kind of stuff but it's it's died down now most most likely because it's normal to see people of different (laughs) genders and different you with with different faces on your screen now probably a little bit less common back then I don't know if, if it's because of my birthday, but I'm, I, this year I've been thinking a little bit back to my, my five years as a hip-hop radio show host. And I've got to tell you, one of the best things about hosting a hip-hop radio show, an underground hip-hop radio show in a pretty physical, aggressive, competitive, skills-based subculture, one of the best things for me was when Triple J got a radio show because all of a sudden it just took so much pressure off. You know, if someone yeah. had recorded something and was desperate for you to play it, I was like, uh, there are now more, there's a bunch of other shows now. Like I don't need yeah. to pressure all the time. Like, it's, it's Friday night. I'm trying to relax. And I, and I guess I in some ways, yeah, but I guess in some ways it's a bit analogous to what you're talking about as far as there are just more options now. So there's less focus on, mm. if you want to give someone shit, there are many other people to give shit to. Yeah. That's a great way of looking at it. Interestingly, back in the day, though, YouTube's top 20, I would say, was a lot more diverse than it is now. So it has started to to become much more, like the top charts look a lot more like mainstream media. Whereas back in the day, I think it was more, that was the only option you had to see someone who looked different. Yes. What, Mm. What did your parents make of it all? Yeah, they were fine with it. I mean, I've always kind of made weird home videos and made them like I said, like super narcissistic, like, you know, I've written stories and made them read it. So I guess they were fine with it as long as I wasn't doing anything too outrageous, but they know I'm pretty lame. So I'd never, (laughs) I'd never, they just know me, I guess, as parents do. I knew I wasn't going to do anything too crazy. Just before this, just my one act of due diligence was looking at your Wikipedia page and one of your, one of your parents was involved with literature. Is that correct? Oh, my dad. Yeah. So my dad was a lecturer in Vietnam um, on literature but he was, yeah, but, I mean, but I'm sure when I mean, you're a parent, I'm sure your kids come to you constantly with stuff that they're doing. And so it must just, again, be just like, oh, she's on the internet. That's fine. You know? <laughs> they were good parents. Sorry. I feel like, again, they know, they knew me well enough to know I wasn't like doing anything weird. I mean, I was doing weird things, but I wasn't, you know, meeting yeah. up with strangers in forests. So. Well, not yet, not yet. Uh, not yet. But I was trying. I was trying to connect to your writer, your your bent for writing. Do you, did he talk a lot about books? Did he have a lot of books in the household? What kind of literature did he teach? My dad's really into poetry. He writes a lot of poetry. No, we didn't really ever discuss it. To be honest with you, there's such a lang like it's, it's such a language barrier when it comes to the things I write and to be able to share them properly with mum and dad because. It just like you know things things are always lost in translation, and so I don't often share too many things I write with them now because the reaction's too heartbreaking. <laughs> just be like, mm-hmm. and then you have to explain a joke and break it down. They're like, mm-hmm. <laughs> yep, mm-hmm. that sounds that sounds like it could have had potential. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, you had to be there, but it's yeah. I don't know. You're a parent. You like I said, you must have your kids come up to you all the time and just doing things, showing you things. Uh, yeah, sometimes a little. Have you ever done stand-up comedy? <laughs> no. Have you? Have you ever written? No. I, I, I'm curious, but it's a lot. That's a big commitment. Yeah. I like writing comedy. Uh, so are you, are you working on projects now or are you purely editing other people's projects? No, I'm just editing at the moment. I'm trying to write. I've been write, I've written some outlines for things. I'd like to finish maybe pitch one of them. But again, I don't know. I don't know if it's, <laughs> it's too much shit in the world. <laughs> I don't know. Well, yeah, come on. 
come on, you know, come on, come on, come on. That's all I got on that, Natalie. Come on, come on. <laughs> come on, come on, come on. But you, you must have so many ideas. I mean, you've obviously made so much stuff. At, at what point does something have to grab you enough? And how do you know when it's grabbed you enough for you to think that you could turn it into something bigger? Because I remember like you used to say the videos that you made, they're about a day or two, right? In writing and production mm, and editing. Yeah. At what point does an idea have to sit with you and hold your attention and captivate you enough for you to go, hmm, maybe this is a six months to 12 months to multi-year project that I could invest in. I guess that's if you have something well, that's a feeling, right? That's just any kind of thought that you have in your head where you're like, this weighs a lot more than anything else does. So probably things that are a bit confronting or that are unresolved, that remain unresolved are probably ideas that I jot down that I continually come back to. Mm-hmm. And I guess that's why people who write things or work on things, you, they tend to have a theme because I guess they're around the thoughts that always remain in their heads or the things that they're obsessed with. What's your theme? I guess. I don't know. I can send you some stuff and you can tell me what my theme is. I don't know. (laughs) Is there a particular observation or thought that stuck with you for a while that you're now massaging into a story? I guess at the moment, because of the past two years, I've been thinking a lot about the effect that you have on people, like the effect that your subconscious can have on other people in the real world. I think about that a lot, but that's probably just because of where I'm at. Do you have something that comes back constantly? No, but hang on. As yes, but as you say that, I could totally, I totally get that from the videos you've made because often you've got two characters and you play both of them, and one of them is your subconscious. Well, your conscious, conscious, conscious. <laughs> what? What's the word? I always get it messed up. But it's your subconscious <laughs> talking back to the conscious this thing or whatever, and the other way around, right? Yeah, I guess in that way, it's just a dialogue, really. Yes. Yeah, I think like a lot of my themes, I mean, I I see it in my movie watching pattern. When I was young, I really identified with outsiders who were driven by intellect, wit, and were trying to avenge people who were hurt. (laughs) And and I think that's why I was attracted to to rap. And I was saying like, it's a big part of my psyche. You know what? it is a big part of my psyche because when I talk about strategy and when I'm talking in a room of people and there might be agency bosses there, many of them are lovely. I will say stuff to them because I want them to make, to take better care of their people. And mm. it comes, it comes from an outsider mentality. You know, like there's a, Korean, a South Korean movie called uh, a man from nowhere. For, it's, for example, I often think of myself being David Carradine from Kung Fu, you know, that old TV show, just walking yeah. around the desert, kicking some ass. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Metaphorically speaking, I've always identified with that. I've never identified, in, in groups and I've always moved between groups. Do you so, still feel like a, an outsider? Well, I think it's, it's hard to be someone who thinks and observes and analyzes and to also identify as being anything but an outsider. That's what outsiders do. And I think to sustain their identities as people who think they have to be outsiders. And that means being okay with spending time by yourself. You know, people who aren't outsiders, they might not be spending a lot of time thinking because they have different social needs. I have huge social needs. Like this is right now, I'm forcing my social need onto you, which is to have this kind of conversation. You can just talk, you can just talk to me normally, Mark. Like, you don't have to wait years and then ask for this. We can just talk normally. I'm too much of an outsider to do that, Natalie. Do you talk to your partner about this kind of stuff? Um, it comes up. Mm. No, we're, we're different. I think one of the, there's two words that have popped up in the past couple of years that I find useful to think about relationships. One is similarity and the other is compatibility. And I don't know if there's num- there are numbers on this, but people don't tend to marry people who are, sorry, few, I think fewer people marry people who are similar to them and they're mm-hmm. often compat- compatible. And I, I believe that a lot of people come together for the things that the other person provides that they don't have. They compensate through that person. And then I do think there's a risk in many relationships where those things, the things that make them different, that did attract them to each other, over time, mm-hmm. they can become too big and too polarizing to that couple if they don't take care of it. That's my theory. You give a lot, sorry, <laughs> just to yeah. people listening. Mark has been, was really lovely to me after I went through a big breakup and he let me tag along and spend time with him. But you've always been, I always really enjoyed your perspective of relationships and and. Yeah, and resolving things within. I've always found, yeah, I've always found you had a really good approach to that. Well, I, I can think about it. It doesn't mean that I'm good at doing it in my own relationship. And also, when you interned with me, I didn't you've know. Been, was, you've, been, you've been in a relationship know. for a long time. Sorry, oh, yeah, I'm sorry. No, 20, 22 years. But when you yeah, interned I reckon, with me. I reckon you're pretty good at it. <laughs> I reckon you're pretty good. No, 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 no. That's my wife. I'm a crazy one. 
But you didn't tell me that your internship was to help you move through a breakup. No, it wasn't. To, I mean, like it was, you're like, that's really unfair. You should have told me that. You were really unstable at the time. No, it wasn't that. It was just, I remember I just needed something else to think about. Oh. And I just wanted, yeah, wanted to do other things. That was funny. And I think you refused to get paid. I hope you got paid. I was like, we've got to pay you. And you're like, I don't want to get paid. And I was like, oh, that's your YouTube purism coming in again. I was not. I wasn't doing anything. It was just nice to, nice to hang out. <laughs> nice to have somewhere to go in the day. It really was. It was lovely. And you had lunch with me. It was lovely. That was my social need that I forced upon you. <laughs> it was hilarious. You were, so, you were so quiet. I don't think you talked the whole time. I, I sat and I, I talked to you sometimes at lunch. It was nice. It was nice. I really enjoyed it. Mark's a really nice person. I really liked it. Sometimes. <laughs> sometimes. Uh, I'm probably meanest to myself. Look, oh, last, last question, I'll let you go. I really appreciate you spending time and talking about such honest, vulnerable things. Look, for, for someone who has a partner or someone in their lives, family member who's going through what you're going through with OCD. How can that person help? My partner won't do this, but I'll say it. I think that they should go to see someone too, because it's Mm. a lot of stress and I can't imagine the resentment that must build or just the emotional burden. And I really think it's important that you see help because someone who knows about it will be able to tell you how to navigate your way through those situations way better. I know what I'm going through, but my partner doesn't. And I can explain it, but I'm not in a great headspace. I mean, I don't even tell my partner things, to be honest with you. I don't have, there's like the tip of the iceberg. I always tell him because I never want him to know the rest of, <laughs> of what's going on in my mind. I think if he had seen someone during that time, it would have been really helpful for him. And I wish he'd see someone now just because I think that's a kindness that he should, have, he should give himself. I think that's good. I mean, with the aging population, with the amount of uh, mental health issues, with the amount of physical diseases in the world, there are a lot of people taking care of other people. And I think that advice is relevant to tens and tens of millions of people. Oh, you've got to have someone to unload at, you know what I mean? Like you can't just, you can't do that for some, you can't be that, that for someone else entirely. I think you need to look after yourself. Uh, Natalie Tran, I usually ask by, uh, sorry, I usually end by asking people where, asking you where can people find you on the internet, but the answer to that is everywhere. No. Where are you, I'm, where are you I'm like- on Twitter, probably. Ooh. Which I should, I need, to get, I need to get off Twitter though. I find it's a time suck. Do you find it's a time suck? A uh, little, but I spend more time creating and publishing weird things. Oh, and, well, and sorry, yeah, I, sorry that you're disciplined. I'm sorry that no, you no. know how to- <laughs> Not disciplined, not disciplined. I just, I'm really enjoying getting my thoughts down right now and sharing them. And I know that I'm inflicting them at people and I feel bad about that. But I also know that people aren't silly and that they will take what they need and move on (laughs) if they don't need anything. That's really cool. You're a very positive (laughs) person. I should come and interview again. I'm not like that at all. I'm I'm more like that now. You're way positive. No, you're very positive. I'm dark. Dark as night. Nah, you can pretend. Nah, you're not. There's there's a nice person in there, but it's it's, it's pretty it's pretty stormy. Pretty stormy. Most of the time. Oh, I'm sorry to hear that. No, no. Uh, Natalie, thank you so much for joining me on Swearhead. Best wishes with everything. I would love to have another chat with you again in public. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah for it next year. Yeah. Talk to, yeah, talk to you in, in five years' time when you. <laughs> yeah. Look, I'm only going to talk to you when I can intern for you. Oh. We've got to get oh you this TV God. station. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Thank you so much <laughs> for having me. Very kind. Yeah, thanks, Matt. Peace.